0: Well, it's good to see everybody at all of our Atlanta area campuses. I'm coming to you live from Woodstock City Church in beautiful Woodstock, yeah. Georgia. Yeah. And I'm sure it's beautiful where you are as well. So welcome to all of our Atlanta area churches and our special, not special guests, because you're here every week, our church down in Lake, at Lake Oconee Church. Glad that you guys are with us, all our churches in Southside. Super excited to have you all together. And for those of you who are joining us on our live streams, we're glad you're a part of this as well, of course. Um, This is really cool. It's basically now a citywide, a citywide gathering of Christians and non-Christians, believers and unbelievers and used to be believers and starters and returners and questioners and some of you are skeptics. And together we, we gather every weekend and we wonder together and we wonder out loud, is there more to this life than this life? And we hope there is. Some of, some of us believe deeply that there is. Some of us wonder if there is. And some of you, if you're honest, you wonder if we can even know if there is. But here we are trying to figure this out together. And I think that's quite amazing. So thanks for being a part of the journey, regardless of what category of person you fall into. So let's begin. If you've been around for a while, you'll know that about nine years ago that we did a series called Guardrails. So today, we're actually beginning, or depending on how long you've been around, re-beginning this incredible, incredible series, Guardrails. Now, we all know what a guardrail is. A guardrail, the the official definition of a guardrail, is a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. It's a system designed to keep vehicles from straying into dangerous or off-limit areas. Um, You generally find guardrails in three areas bridges, medians and curves, uh, bridges to keep us you know, from going off the edge of the bridge into the abyss, uh, medians to protect us from oncoming traffic or to protect the oncoming traffic from us, and curves um, because there are oftentimes unexpected changes in the road. Guardrails, as you probably know, in fact, as you do know, maybe you haven't thought of it in these terms, guardrails accomplish two things in particular. Guardrails direct us and they protect us. They direct us and they protect us. And the other thing that's going to be important for our discussion in these next few weeks as we talk about guardrails is this, that guardrails are not placed in the danger zone. Guardrails are always placed in the safety zone. They're always placed just a few feet away from what's dangerous in the safety zone. So, if there were no guardrails and you were driving on a bridge, you could actually drive closer to the edge, but we don't because there's a guardrail there to protect us. And even though it kind of takes up some safe space, no one argues, no one argues with the logic, no one argues with the logic of placing a guardrail inside the safe Zone. The other thing about guardrails, and maybe you've experienced this, is that guardrails are designed to minimize damage, to minimize damage. The damage done when you hit a guardrail, the damage done when you hit a guardrail, as you know, maybe from personal experience, is minor by comparison to the damage that would have been accomplished if there had been no guardrail. So why are we talking about guardrails? The reason we're going to talk about guardrails, and the reason we entitled this message series guardrails, is that the highway The highway, the roadways, the byways, the highway is not the only place we need guardrails. In fact, if we were perfectly honest and if we had time to go around the room and everybody could share a story, the truth is most of us, maybe all of us, but most of us for sure, would agree that our greatest regrets, our greatest regrets would have been avoided and could have been avoided if we had had some guardrails in our lives, if we had financial guardrails, if we'd had some moral guardrails, if we'd had some relational guardrails, maybe even if you'd had some professional guardrails, which means, and the reason we're talking about this, is that future regrets can be avoided if you are willing and if I'm willing to establish some personal guardrails now. Now, the challenge, and we'll talk about this for the next few weeks, the challenge is culture doesn't really encourage guardrails. In fact, culture doesn't really encourage any kind of rules or any kind of um, firm guidelines at all. Culture is perfectly content with painted lines, some suggestions, some warnings, but culture doesn't like guardrails. And when you begin to establish guardrails and when people find out about your guardrails, even people who are close to you and love you, they're not gonna necessarily encourage you. Because again, we live in a culture that has gray lines and doesn't encourage guardrails. In our culture, we hear things like this, drink responsibly, which is really good news, except what does it mean? And if you drink responsibly, if you drink it all at some point, you become so inebriated, you're not really a responsible person, so I'm not sure responsible drinkers know when they're being irresponsible, but I'm not sure, but it's a great guideline, but it's not really a guardrail. Or how about this one, we tell teenagers, Tell college students, but teenagers in particular, when it comes to sex, wait until you're ready. Now, my theory is a woman came up with that suggestion, and that's not a knock on women, but I think that might be, maybe it's good advice for women, but if you were to say to a teenage boy, wait until you're ready, (laughs) he would just look at you like, I was born ready. Now, I'm not knocking that as advice. I don't think that's, you know, I'm not saying that's terrible advice. I'm just saying that's a painted line. That's that's not a guardrail. Wait until you're ready. Or here's the one we hear all the time. Consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. Consolidate your debts. That may not be bad advice either. But that's not necessarily a great financial standard. Or if we kind of go to the bottom of the bucket, you know, listen to your heart. What is your heart telling you? That's... I just think that's like maybe the worst advice anyone's ever given anyone. But, but again, in our, culture, in our culture, there is resistance to rules. I understand that because nobody wants to be told no. I don't wanna be told no, you don't wanna be told no. So culture disses guardrails. In other words, we're not gonna, you're not gonna get applause. You're not gonna become the most popular person in the office or maybe even your family when you establish guardrails. Culture doesn't encourage guardrails, but at the same time, culture shames us and mocks us when we end up in a ditch financially, right, or morally, or in our marriage. Now, here's a great and controversial illustration of what I'm talking about. For years, it has been referred to as the Billy Graham rule, the Billy Graham rule. Back in the 60s, it became known that Billy Graham had a rule, so it became the Billy Graham rule, and the Billy Graham rule, his rule was that he would not ride in a car alone with a woman, have a meal alone with a woman other than his wife, and would not meet in exclusion, you know, you um, ex- with a woman in a place where people didn't know they were meeting together, or with a closed door. That was his rule, and so it became known as the Billy Graham rule. Then it became known as the Mike Pence rule because our vice president, it was discovered that he applied the same rule. And when people found out about this, um, people kind of went berserk. And and, I, and there was there's reasons why because this rule, as we're going to talk about in a few weeks, certainly has been misapplied. But the truth is many married men and many married women have applied this rule for years. And yet when it became known that our vice president didn't drive, you know, travel alone, you know, meet privately with or eat alone with a woman other than his wife or family members, um, he was mocked and ridiculed. But at the same time, the people that would mock and ridicule someone with that standard, what did they say about a man who cheats on his wife? or about a woman who runs off with her yoga instructor. What, what do they say about these people? We say, well, we won't even say in church what the kinds of words that are used. I mean, these are just disgusting people and she's a home record. Now, during this controversy with our vice president, um, the Harvard Business Review published a really good article. So I'm not knocking this article at all. It was a really fascinating article. And they, the name of the article was Men Shouldn't Refuse. I mean, they just put it right out there. The article title, Men Shouldn't Refuse to Be Alone with Female Colleagues wonder what that's about okay that's the title of the article men shouldn't refuse to be alone with female colleagues and the point of the article was that when this rule is applied according to the authors that it hurts women in the workplace it minimizes their importance um, it reduces their potential for you know moving up in a company and and the article made some really 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 good points but as the authors went on and on and on kind of tearing apart and ridiculing this whole idea of the Billy Graham rule they must have realized okay there's a reason there's a reason that you know, logical, rational people have established this rule. And the reason is there's a lot of stuff going on in the workplace that isn't healthy between men and women. And when men and women travel together, things happen. And when men and women eat together and they're, you know, married men and women eating with other people's husbands or wives and drinking with other people's husbands or wives, things happen. No one can deny the fact that the workplace, because of the goals, the late nights, all the things that happen, the camaraderie in the workplace, that the workplace is, you know, fertile soil for some. Bad things to happen between people who should not allow bad things to happen. That there's plenty of stories to substantiate the need, possibly, for a rule. So at the end of this article, um, HBR, the, the authors of this article in um, Harvard Business Review, they make the following suggestions. And I'm not knocking this article. The article makes some great points. But my point in showing you this is to say that when it comes to our culture, our culture is not going to encourage you and encourage me to establish guardrails, it's gray lines, it's just lines along the side. So here's what the article, how the article concluded in terms of what should we do in light of this dynamic that happens in the workplace, but in light of the fact that we shouldn't have this particular guardrail. So here's what the authors wrote. They said, so what's an evolved male leader to do? So this is addressing men in particular. So I'm not leaving women out, this the article is addressing men. So what is an evolved male leader to do? in the simplest terms become what we call a thoughtful caveman now i don't mind being called an evolved caveman it's so interesting in culture you dare not talk about cave women in fact no one ever talks about cave women and i think there were cave women but imagine so we don't we don't go there okay so <laughs> So the, the advice of the article is you're gonna work with attractive women, um, you're gonna travel with attractive women, you're gonna eat with attractive women, you know, you're, you're gonna be um, flirted with, I mean, you're gonna have all this dynamic. And so the way you handle this, men, is you become a thoughtful caveman. Okay, that's not helpful. But then there's another statement, okay? Here's how they conclude the article toward the end. Healthy Mature, self-aware men understand and accept their distinctly male neural architecture. I'm not even sure I understand that sentence, okay? (laughs) So if this is supposed to help me, okay? If this is supposed to help us in the workplace, if this is supposed to somehow create some boundary and some healthy boundaries between men and women in the workplace, I, I, maybe, okay? But here's, here's, the real problem, and let's just assume for a moment this is true, and it probably is. But women, let me. Here, here's the problem. Let me just ask the ladies, okay? Ladies, okay, ladies. How many of these are there? <laughs> right? Ladies, it's true, okay, ladies. Some of you have never met one. You're not sure they exist. In fact, you would say, if anyone sees one, capture them, (laughs) bring them in and let's study him because it's a unicorn, okay? This is like the most unusual thing imaginable, a healthy, mature, self-aware man. So let me just say one more thing about this, okay? These guys don't need guardrails. But the other 99... 999% 999% nine, nine, nine of us do. And ladies, it's that other 99% that is the reason you need guardrails as well. Now, the Billy Graham rule, the Mike Pence rule, it's a rule I've had since you know, I was married or even before I was married because I'd heard about this. It's just sort of a way of life for me. It's been this way for a long time. This rule has been on one hand mischaracterized, and I believe the HBR article actually mischaracterizes it. And it has been misapplied where it has made it difficult in some circumstances for women to rise up through the workforce. So it has been both mischaracterized and misapplied. And because of that, in just a few weeks, we're gonna come back to this very notion, this very guardrail. So if all anything that I've just said is offended, offensive, all I ask is that you wait a few weeks before you let me know because we're gonna come back to this. Now, <clears throat> here's the point of all that. If you opt for guardrails, if you opt for personal guardrails, you may not be celebrated, but I promise you will have fewer regrets. Now, this is not a new idea. It is certainly not an original idea. The idea behind the idea of guardrails has been around for a long, long time. In fact, the Hebrew Bible, what we call our Old Testament, the Hebrew Bible talks about setting up standards and boundaries. The New Testament sets talks about setting up standards and boundaries. And today, I wanna take you to a passage in Paul's letter to the Ephesians. Ephesians chapter five, it's a passage that we've talked about before, um, not necessarily within this context. The apostle Paul has just finished telling these Christians in ancient Ephesus that there's things they should stay away from, there's things they should do, there's things that are harmful, it's sort of predictable, typical list of behaviors to embrace and behaviors to be careful of or to stay away from. And then he says to this audience, he realizes, okay, they're going, okay, I, I wanna stay away from that, I wanna embrace that, I wanna move toward that, I wanna move away from that. And it's like the apostle Paul Paul realizes, okay, I need to give my listeners and my readers some handles. So then he goes into how to approach or how to live in such a way that you don't end up in a ditch on the left or a ditch on the right as it relates to relationships, finances, morality, friendship, you know, just about any area of life. And here's what he says. I wanna walk you through these verses kind of slowly. Ephesians chapter five, the apostle Paul writes this. Be very careful then how you live. So the standard for living for a Jesus follower in particular, but even if you're not a Jesus follower, this is just great advice. Be very careful then how you live. And the little Greek word translated in this translation live literally means walk. So there are other translations of the Bible that say, be very careful then how you walk. If you have a large dog and a small yard, you understand what the apostle Paul is getting at here. That when you walk out into your small yard and you had your large dog out there, you are very careful then how you walk, where you step. That's the idea behind this. He says, look around. He continues, he says, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise. Now, wisdom serves as the decision-making template. Wisdom serves as the decision-making template in both the Jewish scripture and in the New Testament. That both in the Old Testament and the New Testament, we're told that we are to walk wisely. And walking wisely, or wisdom is better than simply right and wrong. I mean, it's sometimes we're not sure what's right, we're not sure what's wrong. But when you ask yourself the question, what is the wise thing to do? Suddenly there's clarity. The wisdom question brings clarity where the simple is it right or is it wrong question oftentimes Does not, the way we say it here, if you've been around, is that when we think about wisdom, we ask the question, in light of my past experience, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, what is the wise thing for me to do? In light of my past experiences, my current circumstances, and my future hopes and dreams, not what is the right thing for me to do, what is the wise thing for me to do? So the apostle Paul says, be very careful how you live, be very careful how you walk, not as unwise, but as wise. And then he says this, making the most, of every opportunity, literally, this says redeeming the time, that as you live your life, time is a limited asset, time is your most valuable commodity because there's a limited amount of it and you don't know how much you have. You know how much is in your checking account. You do not know how much time you have left. He says, so I want you to be very, very careful with your time and it reminds all of us that don't we wish we could go back and redeem or take back or reuse some time that we wasted. Don't we wish we could go back and have our freshman year over again? Don't we wish we could go back and have that first year of marriage and have a do-over for that first year of marriage? He says, you already know what happens when you're not careful with your time. So as you live, don't live as unwise, but as wise, and pay attention to how fast time flies. And then he says this, because, be very careful then how you live, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why, Paul? Because, and then he says something kind of odd, the days are evil. Now this is 2000 years ago. And he's talking to some, you know, a handful, maybe 50, maybe 100 people in Ephesus. He says, you're living in dangerous times. So you can't just walk around and not pay attention to what's going on. You need to be careful how you walk because the days are evil. You can't afford, he said, to be careless. For example, how many of you I've ever had to take a defensive driving class. Just let me see. I'm kidding. Don't raise your no no. Don't raise your hand. Okay, that was <laughs> terrible. Okay, so it's like no. <laughs> This is, it's okay to lie. So I'm not gonna raise my hand, of course. Now, I actually know that a lot of you have had to take defensive driving classes uh, because many years ago when we had a minivan, Sandra got pulled over um, for going too fast and there were a bunch of minivans and she's pretty sure the officer got her white minivan confused with all the other white minivans there (laughs) on that particular road. And so she was so sure she was innocent, she decided she was not gonna pay the fine. Um, She, she, we moved, no, I'm just kidding. She wasn't gonna pay the fine. (laughs) Um, she decided to, to to the defensive driving class, and so she gets the defensive driving class. And you know, there's I don't know, 40 or 50 people in this class where we live. And the instructor had a name plate for each person in the class facing him, so he could call everybody by name. And so as he begins the class, he looks over and he says, "Sandra Stanley, Sandra Stanley," and without thinking, he says out loud to the whole defensive driving class, "Everyone's there because of DUIs and other kinds of things." He says are you the pastor's wife? Are you that Sandra Stanley? And then he realized, and it's too late, and she says yes, and before he knows it, he loses control of the class, and people start going, I go to North Point, we go to Buckhead Church, I go to 722, half the class went to one of our churches. So I know that a bunch of you have been in defensive driving class, right? And that was just the one class. Now, the point, The point of bringing it up is simply this. What is defensive driving about? It's learning to pay attention, not only to what you're doing, but what everybody else is doing as well. And this is Paul's point. Be careful how you live because you live in a dangerous environment. Be careful how you live because if you are not careful, you may end up someplace you do not want to be. I mean, what did your parents tell you when they were teaching you to drive or whoever taught you to drive, your uncle or your grandfather? What did he say? He said, you gotta look out for the what? The other person, the other guy, the other drivers, that's Paul's point, that you live in an environment, you live in a culture where it's not enough to simply pay attention to what you're doing. You live in a culture to where you have to pay attention to what other people are doing, what other people are asking, what other people are inviting, what other people are offering as well. then he continues, he says, therefore, 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 do not be foolish. Do not be foolish. In other words, don't approach life as if life is all disconnected. Don't approach life as if your past doesn't impact your future. Don't approach life as if what happens today doesn't impact tomorrow. And then he says something really sort of difficult to get our arms around. He says, don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, it's a command. In the Greek text, this is an imperative, understand, which doesn't make any sense. I mean, if you tell somebody, I don't understand, and they say, understand, understand. It's like, okay, I do now. You, since you told me to, I, I mean, that doesn't even make any sense, right? So the idea here, this is so powerful. The idea is to face up to, to acknowledge, to embrace, to you know, be honest with yourself. Stop deceiving yourself, the apostle Paul says. He says, come on, come on, come on. You know what wisdom is. You know where you live. You know what's going on. You know your past. You know your propensity towards certain things. So be honest with yourself. At least be honest with the person in the mirror. Face up to what you know the right thing to do is. And if you're a Christian, face up to what God's will is for you." your life. In other words, you know, he's saying, you know what you need to do to ensure you do what you ought to do. You know what you need to do now to ensure that you do what you ought to do later. You know where you're kind of dancing on the line. You know where you're flirting with disaster. You've had a couple of near misses. You've had a couple of close calls. Paul's going, come on, be honest. You know, you know, you know, you know, you know you. Then he gives us a one thing leads to another illustration. And this is, this is so powerful. And this, these next verses have been so misunderstood for so long. So I'm glad we're talking about them today. Um, you see, guardrails, as we're going to discover in this series, guardrails, guardrails are the one thing that keep us from another. One thing leads to another. Guardrails are the one thing that keeps us from the other, another thing, and wise people understand this. So he says, let me give you an example of what I mean by be careful how you live. Let me give you an example of what it means to walk in wisdom. He says, do not get drunk on wine. This is his illustration. Now, you need to know that in the first century, in fact, in almost all of ancient times, that wine was actually safer than water. Okay, wine was safer than water. You can imagine what they stored water in. You can imagine how long they stored it. And they didn't understand bacteria, but they knew this. If you drink water that had been sitting still for too long, you got sick. In fact, sometimes you could get real sick. Wine could make you drunk. Water could make you dead, okay? So watered wine, or really the better way to say it, wined water was a staple in ancient times because it was safe. Now, it wasn't water wasn't safe. Now for us, water's safe. It's a whole new thing. But this is a one thing leads to another illustration. So look at how the apostle Paul says this. He says, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to, because that's the point. This is the one thing that leads to another thing. This is guardrails. Guardrails are about the one thing that keeps us from ending up where we don't wanna be. One thing leads to another. Now, I want everybody here, if you would, just tune back in if you tuned out for just a second. Those of you at home, tune back in for a second, okay? When you see this, I want you to fill in the blank, not out loud, but in your mind. Do not get drunk. And let's just, if we just remove the words on wine. Do not get drunk, which leads to, think about that. Do not get drunk because it leads to anything come to mind? Anyone come to mind? Do you know anybody that probably wishes that don't get drunk was a guardrail because of what it led to? In fact, chances are in our audience all over the city and all over the country and in some cases all over the world, somebody's watching, somebody's listening. And your life, your life would be completely different. Your life would be completely different if your mom or your dad had stayed sober. Now think about that. Their life would be different for sure, but your life would be different. Now, we're not gonna spend the whole message talking about alcohol, but just wanna make one other statement while we're here, because we don't go here very often. If more than one person has told you you drink too much, you do, you do, you do, now back to Paul. The problem with getting drunk, I mean, it was kinda heavy there, I got real quiet here <laughs> in this room, okay? I don't know about everywhere else. The, okay, back to Paul, the problem, within the context of this passage, the problem with getting drunk is what it leads to. Drunk is the guardrail. Now, I know for some of you, it's the goal, but for the apostle Paul, <laughs> Drunk as the guardrail, and you laugh, right? And it's funny, right up into the point that a woman gets punched, that's not funny. Right up into the point where somebody veers across the median, then it's not funny. Right up into the point that a college student realizes everybody else quit, and I can't quit. And suddenly, what was kind of a pastime becomes a pathway for somebody. And it has the potential to wreck and ruin their life. And they look back and they say, if only I had established in light of my past experience, in light of my dad's past experience, my mom's past experience, in light of my uncle's past experience, in light of what's going on in my family history, in light of my current circumstances, in light of my future hopes and dreams, where does the guardrail need to be for me on this issue? And culture mocks us and laughs at us and then disses us when they find out that we have a drinking problem. Here's how the apostle Paul fills in that blank. Do not get drunk on wine, which leads to a word we never use anymore, debauchery, which is basically primarily sexual indulgence as a result of a lack of self-control. Any kind of indulgence that results from a lack of self-control or a loss of self-control. And once again, it points back to the value and the power of what we're talking about in this series of guardrails. Because guardrails safeguard us. Guardrails safeguard us from handing over control of our lives to someone or something else. Guardrails will safeguard you and your kids and your husband and your wife and the people you work with will safeguard you from handing over control of your life to someone or something else. The apostle Paul in another place says, do not be mastered by anything and do not be mastered by anyone. And guardrails is a step toward ensuring that in your future, you are not mastered by anything or anyone. And then he says, instead, do not get drunk on wine, which leads to debauchery, instead. now. If you are not a religious person, if you're not a Christian, if you're not a Jesus follower, everything I've said so far is kind of common sense. You may not have heard it said in this way, but you're going, Okay, I'm not really a church person. I've never read that before. I don't, I'm not, I've heard of Paul, but okay. Okay, you got me. I feel a little bit bad about myself. You're right, I have some regrets, which leads to, I knew what it led to, so I'm with you so far. Okay, but at this point, the apostle Paul kind of changes directions just a little bit. And at this point in his writing, he's writing to Christians in Ephesus. At this point, he dips into his faith in Jesus. At this point, he begins to leverage, just for one verse, he leverages the fact that he truly believed that God sent Jesus into this earth, to to the earth, as his only son to die for the sins of mankind. And the apostle Paul came to this early, maybe seven years after the resurrection. So the apostle Paul believes that Jesus was who Jesus claimed to be and that he actually rose from the dead. So now he dips into this basic Christian teaching. And here's what he says. He says, don't be drunk with wine, which leads to debauchery, but instead... Be filled with the Spirit. And the New Testament teaches that when a person puts their faith in Christ, that the Holy Spirit comes to reside in them in some mysterious way, but where you experience it is in your conscience. So the apostle Paul says, instead of giving over control of your life to anything or anyone, whether it's alcohol, being a workaholic, um, finances, greed, a hobby, a person, an affair, instead of giving over control of your life to anything or anyone, I want you to submit your life to the nudging, the promptings of the Holy Spirit. And he says, when we become believers, the Holy Spirit moves into our conscience. Now everybody, pretty much everybody has a conscience unless you're a sociopath and you're probably not in church if you're a sociopath. But other than sociopaths, pretty much everybody has a conscience and the strangest thing happens. I've seen this so much. Many of you, this would be your story. When you became a Christian, isn't it true? It's like your conscience began to be fine tuned to a whole different way of thinking in a whole different way. Of living. The, the Holy Spirit taps on our conscience. The Holy Spirit doesn't yell, it doesn't scream, it's not a ghost, it's not spooky, it's not strange. It's basically what everybody experiences, but the Holy Spirit takes it to another level. It's a gentle nudge. It's a you're about to pick up, you know, an, an answer and there's just a uh, 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 uh. you're about to, you know, hit send and there's a uh, 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 uh. you're about to take a left instead of going straight and there's just that. Uh, 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 uh. That's the Holy Spirit. So in conclusion, here's what Paul says. Be very careful then how you live. Be very careful where you walk, where you step, not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of every opportunity. Why? Because the days, the culture is not working for you. It's working against you. Therefore, do not be foolish. Do not live as if life is disconnected, but understand what the Lord's will is for you. Now, for the next few weeks, we're gonna come back to this over and over and over. Come on, nobody plans to wreck their life any more than they plan to wreck their car, right? Nobody plans to wreck their career. Nobody plans to wreck their marriage. Nobody plans to wreck their health. Nobody plans to wreck their profession. Nobody plans to wreck their body. Nobody plans to wreck any of those things any more than we plan to wreck our cars. The problem is we just don't plan not to. And guardrails is how you plan not to. Guardrails is how you set yourself up to walk wisely, to live carefully. There's a sense in which guardrails are the equivalent of defensive living. Now, I know what you say because we all say the same thing. I'll be careful. Guardrails is how you be careful. And there's an added benefit. We'll close with this. The added benefit is this. At the very beginning, I told you that guardrails, remember they protect and they direct, they direct and protect. You will find it, even if you're new to faith, even if you're not sure you embrace faith, and if you've been a part of chasing faith for a long, long time, you're gonna discover it is much, much easier to discern God's will for you with guardrails than without. And the reason is this. Stepping away Stepping away from what can harm you is a step toward the one who loves you. And at the end of the day, this discussion isn't simply about becoming better people. At the end of the day, this whole series, this whole message series, this entire discussion is about becoming more surrendered people. Surrender to the God who loves you, to the God who sent his son to pay for your sin and to pay for mine and to live in such a way that our lives glorify, big Bible word, Christian word, that that our lives glorify or speak well of our father in heaven. So this is about you, but it's not just about you. So final question, where do you need to start? Where do you need to start? What is it that you need to face up to What is it that every once in a while something reminds you, every once in a while somebody reminds you and you just push it off to the periphery and you just, you just, you know at some point you gotta face it, at some point you gotta deal with it, at some point you need to step back from it. What is it for you? Where are you flirting with disaster? Where are you driving too close to the edge? And would you be open for the next few weeks for the spirit of God to begin to move in your heart and to help you establish some guardrails? Think about that and we'll pick it up right there next week. Now, if you'd like to see this again, I can't imagine why you would, but if you would, if you go to guardrails.org or if somebody in your small group missed this particular week or if you wanna watch this with your small group, if you have kids, okay, if you have teenagers, pay them. Say, here's 20 bucks, we're gonna watch this. 25, 30, 35, 40, whatever, we, we're gonna watch this together. But uh, this whole series will be sitting right here. And if you're in a small group or you're about to start your group, as you get through group link, there's a PDF associated with each one of these messages. And I'm gonna spend some time with our team. We've developed questions for each one of these messages so that you can get a, sit down with a group of people, get life on life and talk about how these concepts relate to your life. So don't miss that opportunity. Remember that. We'll put everything associated with this series right There, let me pray for us and we'll take off. Father, thank you for preserving this ancient text. Thank you for the apostle Paul. Thank you for the practicality. Thank you today for raising in our minds and our hearts things that we have not thought about in a while and in some cases things we don't wanna think about. But would you please, please, please in your grace and mercy give us wisdom to know what to do with what we just heard. And we pray these things in the matchless name of Jesus, our Lord, amen. Thanks for being here. We'll see you next week for part two of Guardrails.